This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing an epic Norse saga where we'll see why you shouldn't confront a sorcerer and then leave them with all their sorcery gear and why that deep V might get you in some medieval hot water. The creature this week is another winter one who either wants to kill you with his poisonous bites or tell you his spoken word poetry. This is Myths and Legends, episode 209B, Time and Tide. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Last week on the podcast, a lot of Viking stuff happened, but the most relevant details for today's episode are that the troubling dreams of a young woman named Guthrun foretold that she would marry four times to various degrees of success. We are also following the family tree of Olaf Peacock up until he and his wife had children, Kiartan being their firstborn son and their favorite. The couple also decided to foster Bali, Olaf's nephew, to honor their relative. So Kiartan and Bali grew up as best friends, each feeling as though something important were missing when the other wasn't around. We'll catch up with the boys later, but now we're going to resume with Guthrun, who is just hearing about her first match. Word of Guthrun's first match arrives soon after her meeting with Guest, the one who interpreted her troublesome dreams. Thorvald was a wealthy man, but he was no hero. He came from a family of farmers and merchants, not Vikings. An old romantic to his core, Thorvald approached Guthrun's father with a marriage contract before he'd even met the girl, who was about 20 years his junior. Guthrun's father was wary of the match, not because of the age difference, but because of the wealth difference. Thorvald was wealthy, and while Osfif, Guthrun's father, did all right, their status didn't make for an obvious pairing. Thorvald, however, had made it clear. He was seeking a wife first. This had nothing to do with money. So Guthrun's dad put it to the test. He returned Thorvald's proposed contract, along with a counteroffer of his own. Once they were married, Guthrun would run the household's finances. If the marriage ended before either of them died, Guthrun would take half of the estate, no matter the length of the union. Osfif's eyes wide, Thorvald vigorously nodded his acceptance. Their marriage was difficult from the start, and true to her own dreams, Guthrun was not happy. It could have been their age difference, it could have been that they hadn't spoken before their wedding, neither of those were that surprising given the time, but Guthrun wanted something more in her marriage. She wanted love. Suddenly, the dreams she once feared gave her hope, hope that she would leave this dour man. And that was when Thord came along. And yet, there are a lot of Thor-based names this episode, so we're going to call him Handsome Thord. It started with a dinner party. Handsome Thord and his wife, Odd, A-U-D, came over to Thorvald and Guthrun's. The pair got along very well. But more specifically, Handsome Thord was enamored with Guthrun's wit, and after living for a year or so with Thorvald, Guthrun was enraptured by how Handsome Thord treated her with respect, like an equal. Their spouses, who felt like third and fourth wheels, would make small talk, 
while Guthrun and Handsome Thord conversed late into the evening. After that, Handsome Thord found more and more reasons to stop by the home of Thorvald and Guthrun. It happened that, ah, oh, bummer, he just kept missing Thorvald for the business he had with the guy. But he still stayed for several hours to speak with Guthrun. Just to be polite, of course. Nothing ever happened, but the servants talked to the people in town who talked to their employers, who also talked among themselves, and soon Thorvald caught wind of this frequent occurrence. Part of Guthrun's marriage contract was that she was to be the fanciest woman in town. Yeah, it's amazing that Thorvald ever got so rich. He seems to be terrible at negotiating contracts. Anyway, if Guthrun wanted something, she got it, though not to the point of ruining their finances. One day, as handsome Thord nodded to Thorvald on his way out, Thorvald snapped. Offhandedly, Guthrun mentioned that she'd heard of a new necklace at the store in town, but she turned to meet her husband's hand. A smack cut the air as he slapped Guthrun clear across the face. Face red and stinging, she felt her cheek and looked at her husband in shock. No words formed. She simply locked her jaw and gulped hard. No one moved for a long time, until a smile formed across Guthrun's face. She looked straight at her husband and said that, you know what, a rosy color in a woman's cheeks was a good look. She also said that she now understood her role as an obedient wife, and she wouldn't dare do anything to displease her man. She rushed off to prepare dinner, and as she left, Thorvald nodded to himself. That was more like it. Over the following weeks, Guthrun was the picture of happiness. She threw herself into every duty around the house, and if she entertained any visitors, Thorvald heard nothing about it. Not from his surprise visits home in the middle of the day or the locals he bribed for information. She even started sewing. She wasn't good at first, but like anything Guthrun put her mind to, she quickly excelled until she was making all their clothes. It was in town one day that Thorvald learned firsthand that while Guthrun might be able to make a shirt, she wasn't exactly a professional. He was wearing one of her personal designs, a V-neck, when a few of the stitches came loose in the back. The tasteful shirt slipped and turned suddenly into a very deep V, so deep that, quote, Thorvald rushed from town with his nipples out. That's oddly specific, but also very important, because Thorvald arrived home to an empty house. Guthrun was gone, and when he went asking about her, he found her at her father's home, in tears. She was divorcing him. Thorvald's face turned purple. No, he demanded that she come home. There was no grounds for this. But Guthrun shook her head. Why deny it? She asked between sobs. The whole town had witnessed the disgraceful scene. Thorvald shook his head. Witness what? Guthrun gestured to his chest. Him gallivanting around town in the low-cut shirt with his nipples out. That's what. Thorvald had clearly gone into town, parading around in women's clothing. And the only thing he was mad about was that he got caught. And yeah, if you didn't know it, Dressing in the clothing of the opposite sex in this culture at this time was sufficient grounds for divorce. Thorvald tried to argue that Guthrun had made him the shirt, but unfortunately, the whole town had seen him running around with, quote, 
his nipples out. And so it was that Guthrun successfully divorced her first husband. And since her father had negotiated a contract that put their relationship ahead of Thorvald's wealth, she took possession of half of his estate. This wasn't planned by Guthrun, but it wasn't exactly sad either. And strangely enough, handsome Thord suddenly found that he had a lot of business with Osvif, Guthrun's father, now that she was living with him once again. Handsome Thord even accompanied her family to the All Thing, the yearly meeting of the island's chieftains. It was on the road, with the mountains on one side and the roaring seas on the other, sitting atop the pair's horses, who had grown quite buddy-sour on account of all the time spent together over the past few months, that Guthrun mentioned something. Were the rumors true? That handsome Thord's wife, Odd, often dressed in breeches, complete with a codpiece and long leggings? Handsome Thord laughed. That wasn't something he had heard or noticed. He was pretty sure no one was talking about that. Guthrun shook her head. Oh, must not be spending much time together then if he didn't notice something as big as her wearing men's clothing. Apparently she did it so often that people were calling her breeches odd. Handsome Thor grimaced. That really didn't sound like his wife. Who exactly was saying that? People, lots of people, basically everyone, Guthrun said, turning to Handsome Thor. She was winking. Did he notice the wink? Handsome Thor sat slack-jawed for a bit, then gasped. Oh, oh, wait, if she were wearing breeches and a codpiece and everything, then that would be grounds for, he's divorcing you, Odd learned, when her husband returned from the all thing. He hadn't even bothered to come home or tell her in person. He'd sent her a messenger. In fact, he wasn't divorcing her. He had divorced her already, at the all thing, with the lawmakers present. He presented witnesses that definitely weren't paid lackeys. And that was that. Odd would need to be out by Friday at the latest. Odd glowered, listening to the made-up reason for the divorce. Breaches and a codpiece, was it? Well then, she would show him breaches and a codpiece. Those nearby looked at her. That didn't sound as intimidating as Odd probably thought it sounded. But the scorned woman dismissed them all and went to prepare. Guthrun looked out on the feast. It was her wedding day, again. This man, handsome Thord, was wonderful, and she wanted to spend the rest of her life with him, but she couldn't help thinking of the old man. Guest, her first marriage had ended exactly as he predicted by her dreams, with the casting off of the ill-fitting headdress. Would the second end, as he predicted as well, with her husband drowning? Guthrun shook her head, returning to the reception. There was no reason to worry about such things. It could have been a fluke, the whole thing with Thorvald. People only ever remembered the moments the prophets were right, after all, forgetting the multitude of predictions that went wrong. And besides, if it was fate, she couldn't change it. Up to and including marrying the man with whom she was completely in love. Putting it from her mind, Guthrun parted the curtain and entered the feast. After they were married, Handsome Thord shared his desire for a fresh start with Guthrun. 
they were going to be together for a long time. They needed a hall of their own. Guthrun had stayed in town, while handsome Thord worked feverishly with a legion of builders and craftsmen to construct the most beautiful hall in all of Iceland. His arms aching, and his hands still ringing from the hammer strikes, handsome Thord took a well-earned rest while the workers continued around him. It was because of the work, and all the men walking around in all their breeches, that he didn't notice one particular person, also in breeches, as she casually walked into his bedroom, raised a dagger above her head, and brought it down, slicing handsome Thord in the chest. Odd, truly becoming breeches odd, stabbed twice more, before stabbing so hard that the knife blade lodged itself in the wood frame of the bed, watching her ex-husband cough up his own blood. Odd sneered at his look of panic and rushed from the unfinished hall before any of the workers knew what happened. Word reached Guthrun as handsome Thor was being rushed to the village. She tried in vain to be by his side, but the many bedside healers pushed her away, barking that they needed space for their work. Osvif, Guthrun's father, vowed to bring vengeance against Odd and her brothers for this act, but handsome Thord touched Osvif's robe. The older man turned to lean in close. The last thing handsome Thord said before he lost consciousness was to let it rest. Odd had only evened the score. This was what he deserved. Bloody hand curled next to Osvif's robe. Guthrun had to leave the room. Eyes blurry. For the first time in her marriage, she prayed that the prophecy foretelling that the man she loved most in the world would die drowning was correct. Any remaining doubt about the viability of her dreams dissolved as Guthrun stood looking at handsome Thord. She was convinced they showed the future because, somehow, handsome Thord had survived the brutal attack the wounds on his chest healed, although he did lose the use of his right arm. Still, he was alive, and as long as he was alive and married to Guthrun, he would be happy. Besides, he didn't have time to look to the past. A new wife, a new house, and now a new life. Guthrun was pregnant with their first child. Unfortunately, he was mistaken about one thing, his marriage to Odd had ended in divorce and a trip to the medieval Viking ICU, but the repercussions from their union were far from over. Odd would not relent. All winter long, she and her brothers raided the land belonging to handsome Thord's mother, Ingen, stealing her livestock and practicing sorcery. It doesn't say how they practice sorcery, so I'll just take that to mean they were stealing stuff and being extra spooky about it. Either way, it was a problem. Still, We've talked about this before, but from Arrow Odd to any other story where a witch appears, medieval Scandinavia, like most medieval cultures, was very much not okay with any form of witchcraft or sorcery. Knowing that the law was on his side, handsome Thord sailed to the other side of Iceland to meet with a known sorcerer from the Hebrides, which are off the coast of modern-day Scotland. Once there, he confronted the man he knew had to be aiding his angry ex-wife, accusing him before witnesses of sorcery and theft, a charge which carries the full weight of outlawry. Now, while handsome Thord might have thought the law was on his side, the sorcerers had the elements on theirs. And handsome Thord, in his anger, 
had served the medieval sorcerers their court date, but left them with all their sorcery gear and whatever else they used. Unsurprisingly, a storm gathered while Thord and his crew were sailing home. The people on the coast watched as a rocky break arose from the sea in a place where none remembered there ever being one before, and none could find again after that day. Even if handsome Thord had been able to use both his arms that day, the outcome would have been the same. A sea that turbulent spelled nothing but disaster. Handsome Thord and all of his men drowned, their bodies washing ashore the following morning. Guthrun received the news while she was in labor, and the cries of the baby boy matched her own weeping for the man she had loved and for the fate that she always knew would arrive. In that moment, Guthrun named her baby Thord. If you're accused of sorcery, and the guy who accuses you dies of obvious sorcery in a violent society that hates sorcery, you're gonna have a bad time. Dispensing with lawsuits and pesky things like due process, the people of Iceland dispensed some Viking justice and stoned the sorcerer's whole family before dropping them in a shallow grave. I'm not saying that this is the case, but it could have just been an outsized reaction to a family of foreigners from the Hebrides settling in Iceland the people not understanding a different culture and claiming they were sorcerers, paired with the bad luck of a storm cropping up on the day handsome Thor had sailed home. I'm not saying that this is the case, but I also can't say that it's not. Anyway, Guthrun spent a long time in mourning for the man she loved, but eventually, she was able to pull herself away from the house once more. She started going to the hot springs. It was a way she could get out of the big, empty hall handsome Thor had built for their family the one that was supposed to be their home for years to come. The hot springs gave her a way to be out, but still alone. That is, until one day, when she found the hot springs occupied. Don't worry about it, Kjartan gestured to Guthrun. She recognized Olaf Peacock's son. Please, he said, moving over to emphasize the ample room available. The hot springs were huge. Flustered, Guthrun shook her head. She should really be going. But then Bali spoke up, insisting that she not let them keep her from joining, please. They would let her be. They were just about finished here anyway. And they wouldn't bug her at all. Guthrun agreed and stepped into the opposite side of the springs. Of course, the promise not to talk to her was a lie. Kjartan was a charmer and couldn't go anywhere without talking. But Guthrun didn't mind. They were all just about the same age. And it was actually nice to talk to someone who wasn't her baby or her mother for a change. It was midday, before she remembered that she did, in fact, have a baby that she should be getting back to. Bali lifted a thoroughly pink and pruned hand. Yeah, they, they should go too. At that moment, Guthrun realized that, for the first time in the months since handsome Thor died, she was smiling. In fact, she'd been smiling for hours. With a nod of goodbye to Kjartan and Bali, she got dressed and headed to leave. A voice called from the springs. Same time tomorrow? Kuthren agreed, and then hurried home. She had no idea that morning that she had just met the man who would be her third husband. The gold ring that would break, bleed, and die. (laughs) 
We'll catch up with everyone as they're making some big plans, but that will be right after this. Garrett, you still haven't told me why we're riding south, Molly said, trotting alongside his foster brother. The man turned with an impish grin. Bali rolled his eyes. All right, out with it. Kjartan explained that he was buying a share in a ship. Half a ship, to be exact. Bali reeled. Half a ship? And what was he going to do with half a ship? Kjartan kept grinning. If he was going to make a name for himself, he couldn't stay on Iceland. He had to leave. Trading? Bali asked. It was the 10th century, so he wasn't going Viking. No one went Viking anymore. Kjartan nodded. Trading getting to know kings, going on adventures. Didn't any of that excite Bali? Bali took a deep breath. Well, when did they leave? Kjartan dropped back, reaching over and slapping his foster brother on the back. Yes! Wherever you go, I go, Bali said, but then paused. What did Kjartan think she would think of it? Kjartan swallowed hard. She'd be happy, of course. He knew she would. Over the past year, the trio that met at the hot springs had become close. But while they were all friends, Kjartan and Guthrun were the closest. It was nearly a perfect match. Guthrun met a man who was her intellectual equal. Kjartan met a woman who would stand up to him. And their fathers were already such good friends that they traded off dinner parties at each other's houses. It was only a matter of time before it became official. So... How long are we going to be gone? Bali asked the silent Kjartan. Three years? Guthrun shouted after they were back home. Toddler Thord started crying in the background. Come on, don't be mad. This is good for us, Kjartan said. Guthrun stared at the floor. She knew why he was leaving. Iceland was small, quiet. There wasn't any glory to be had by staying home. Then a spark brightened her eye. She had it. They should take her with them. Bali shrugged. Sure, why not? It was Kjartan who shook his head. It didn't make sense. Her father was getting older, her brothers were idiots, and her child was too small. She couldn't leave right now. Guthrun scowled. That wasn't a decision he got to make. Kjartan shrugged. It, he owned half the ship. It kinda was. He took her hands into his and looked her in the eye. It would only be for a short time, max of three years. He would wait for her. Would she wait for him? Guthrun took her hands back. No, no she would not. What is this, a romantic comedy? Please. She had her future and a child to think about. Guthrun stormed off, slamming the door at the end of the long hall. Kjartan brushed off the encounter. She didn't know what she was talking about. She'd wait. She loved him. His excitement over leading his first ship was tempered only by the fact that Guthrun wasn't at the launch. In fact, he didn't see her for the entire month leading up to it. He put her out of his mind, but in the quiet moments, he prayed to Odin that she would wait for him. Those quiet moments, however, were few and far between. It wasn't long before their ship made it to its first stop. 
Nidaros, Norway. The strange thing was, when they docked in the Norwegian capital, they found three of the ships of their countrymen, Icelanders. In fact, it looked like they were trying to wave to Kjartan, Bali, and their men. The brothers waved back and docked to a greeting of face palms and head shakes. Yeah, you're gonna wish you didn't do that, a fellow captain informed Kjartan as the guards swarmed his boat. If you know anything about Scandinavia around the year 1000 AD, you know that the times, well, they are a-changing. Christianity, once the kid with the monk haircut who got his lunch money taken by all those big Viking jocks with axes, had grown up. Through many factors, Christianity was now spreading among the Scandinavian people abroad. But now, it had taken root in Norway, in the form of King Olaf Tryggvason. And he brought the entirety of Norway under his control. And he made a demand, convert to Christianity. This was controversial among the Odin-worshipping nobles and the Thor-worshipping working class. But King Olaf had the iron will of his ancestors, and also a lot of guys with axes. He was also tired of all these pagan nations surrounding him and wanted to spread the good news, or rather, wanted other people to spread the good news. So that summer, he locked down the port. If you wanted to leave, you had to convert. So that was why there were still so many Icelanders in Norway, and also why said Icelanders had tried to deter Kjartan and Bali from docking. If you don't convert, you can't leave. Them's the rules. One of the guards informed Kjartan. The young man laughed it off and signaled his men to relax. There was no need for weapons yet. Leave, Kjartan asked. Why would they leave? They just got here. As the new arrivals began walking their goods over to the buyers, Bali turned to Kjartan. They weren't doing that, right? That new religion? Kjartan laughed. Of course not. For a long time, no one pressed the issue, and all seemed to be enjoying their mandatory vacation in Norway. Summer bled into fall while the ships floated at the docks. The crewmen stayed in town, and one day, they saw a crowd rushing off toward the river. Kjartan quickly flagged down a local before rushing back up to their apartment. Bali, he cried. Bali, they were going swimming. Bali grumbled all the way to the river, trying to keep up with Kjartan, who was both running and getting undressed. Kjartan couldn't understand why Bali was so sour all the time. They'd go home eventually. Until then, this was awesome. Live a little. They were in a town full of interesting places, great food, and travelers from all over the world. But what about home? What about Guthrun? Bali asked. Kjartan, who was absolutely close enough to hear, shook his head and said Bali would have to speak up before ditching the rest of his clothes and sprinting for the river. Bali sighed picked up his foster brother's clothes, and made his way toward the splashing. When he arrived at the water's edge, Kjartan was already testing his swimming prowess against the locals. By dunking strangers, he watched Kjartan grip the top of the head of some middle-aged man with a beard and force him under. Counting, the man tapped his face, and Kjartan let go. After he did so, the local man gripped Kjartan by his hair, forcing him under, counting. When he came up, both men looked at each other and both submerged. Eventually, people began to worry. 
someone murmured that they'd both been down for too long. When the local man burst from the water, a mere second or two before Kjartan, both gasped and laughed as they climbed from the river. The local guy asked Kjartan his name, and Kjartan told him. He asked about where he was from, and then wondered if Kjartan wanted to know anything about him in return. Kjartan shook his head. Uh, not really. The man laughed. Skilled and confident. Maybe overly confident. The local revealed that he was King Olaf. Kjartan sputtered. Wow! Did not see that one coming. Bali said that he actually didn't know this Kjartan guy at all. And then he laughed, drawing his sword. Actually, he was just kidding. Bali was a ride-or-die friend, and seeing as his friend had just forced the king's head underwater multiple times, it was looking like die was the likely outcome here. The tone of the entire group shifted, and those surrounding King Olaf gritted their teeth, their axes, spears, and swords flashing in the sun. No one dared to make the first move, but all crouched, ready for the impending battle. King Olaf held up his hands. Everyone calm down. He wasn't mad. He rather liked it that someone treated him like another human being for once. Everyone was always cowering in reverence. Um, I'm no expert, Kjartan spoke up, but it could be on account that you conquered all of Norway. Oh, and the forced conversions under the threat of violence? Yeah, don't push your luck, warned the king. Presumably, these were the young men who arrived in the summer from Iceland? The ones who, wait, the ones who had plotted to burn down his palace with him inside when he wouldn't let them leave? Kjartan and Bali looked at one another. Those plans hadn't left their ship. How did he know that? King Olaf nodded. This was his city, his country, and they had chosen not to do it. That's what was important. Now, he would be honored if they would come visit him in the palace. Bali and Kjartan hesitated. King Olaf spoke again. Oh, you're probably wondering. I bet you're thinking, oh, is he going to have us executed? He said. The, the friends blinked. What? Was he? Oh, I'm not going to spoil things for you. Where's the fun in that? Come along, boys, King Olaf said, throwing his arms around the young men and starting the walk toward the palace. In the end, the king chose not to have them executed. For now, or for later, really. While Bali remained pretty quiet, Kjartan was Kjartan, and he shared King Olaf's ambition and intelligence. In short order, he became the court favorite. Those close to the king cautioned him regarding having so many, quote, heathens surrounding him. He should force Kjartan and Bali to convert, they urged. But King Olaf ignored them all, he had a feeling that Kjartan had more faith in himself than in Odin or Thor, and men like him were worth waiting for. And they did wait. It wasn't until the Christmas festivals that Kjartan finally relented. But it wasn't out of fear that he chose to convert, but rather opportunity. It didn't matter much to him what religion he followed. Thor had never done for him what he couldn't already do for himself, and following King Olaf's god won him a powerful ally that no one in all of Iceland would have. It also meant Ingibjorg. She was King Olaf's sister, and when Kjartan, Bali, and their ship were baptized on December 26th, the second day of Christmas, she was seated right beside Kjartan at the feast. She was only a couple years older than the Icelander, 
and the pair talked all winter. In the spring, Kjartan was given a choice, disguised as a question. What hope did he have of the Icelanders leaving their pagan past and converting en masse to Christianity? Kjartan couldn't help but laugh. Well, that depends, he said. How many swords did King Olaf have? The king nodded. He felt the same way. In fact, his bishop had only just escaped alive. The king thanked Kjartan and dismissed him. Kjartan hesitated and ventured to ask one thing. Could they leave Norway? The thing was, he'd been away from home for nearly a year at this point, but King Olaf refused. It was an instant no. Kjartan was called to a greater purpose now. They were now responsible for all the souls in Iceland being saved. Besides, the king said, with a wry smile, as he glanced at his sister, there are other plans in the works. And so it was that the Icelanders remained stuck in Norway for yet another spring, summer, fall, and winter. And come the second spring, everyone was pretty restless. That's when Kjartan had an idea. Bali. Bali needed to go. Maybe he could make some headway with Iceland so that both of them could leave. Bali shook his head resolutely. No, sorry. He didn't like the idea of Kjartan in a foreign kingdom. And converting Iceland? Really? Kjartan, though, was determined to find a solution. They had to do something. He wanted to go home. Bali shrugged and looked out the window. Things weren't so bad here. Besides, there was Ingebjörg. Kjartan gave his foster brother a look. He wanted to go home. Bali nodded. Okay, he would see what he could do. Come spring, after a whole winter working to wear King Olaf down, Bali the merchant turned missionary was allowed to leave for Iceland. Kjartan, King Olaf, and several others saw him off down at the docks. With Ingebjörg by his side, Kjartan waved for Bali's attention. Hey Bali, tell, I mean, tell everyone I care for them, he said, glancing over to the king as he did so. Bali nodded. He understood. It could have been that the Icelanders had responded to a spiritual urging and decided to accept Christianity, or it could have been that the civil wars sprinkled throughout the Scandinavian world and King Olaf, in addition to sending Bali, completely barring them from all Norwegian ports, the closest non-British or Irish ports for them, unless they converted. Who's to say? But what we do know is that, historically, in 1000 AD, the Icelanders voted at the Althing in favor of one law and one religion. Baptisms and conversions would be compulsory for every Icelander. At the news, Bali and Guthrun cheered, not for Christianity, but for Kjartan. The ruling at the Althing meant that he was released from his fairly comfy hostage situation in Norway. However, Bali's smile quickly faded. Guthrun asked what was wrong. This was a good day, right? Kjartan would be coming home, and they would be married. Bali stalled, playing with the edge of his shirt. This was such a fun conversation to be having, and definitely not one that Kjartan should be having himself. What is it? Guthrun asked. Taking a deep breath, Bali turned and looked his friend straight in the eye. He... He wasn't sure they would be seeing much of Kjartan. Guthrun sat, 
bracing herself for the news. As the tale unfolded, Guthrun didn't weep. She sat in silence. The implications of this Ingebjorg were obvious. Some woman, someone like Kjartan's grandfather Holskald had met on his travels, that meant nothing to Guthrun. A princess, though? That wasn't just some woman. That wasn't just some way for a young man to express certain feelings on the road. That was a match. That was serious. When will you return? Ingebjorg asked Kjartan the following spring. The young man was packing. After news of the all thing, it was finally time to go. After being away from home for three winters, he was leaving. Soon, he said with a smile. He turned, and Ingebjorg was there. She kissed him. But it was like kissing a statue. He stepped away. He had said no. Ingebjorg sighed and called for her servants. One appeared in the doorway and handed something to the princess. It was a headdress. Kjartan smirked. It wasn't really his style. It would look better on her. Ingebjorg nodded. She agreed, but that wasn't to be. It wasn't for her. Not anymore. It was for his bride. For Guthrun. Kjartan cocked an eyebrow. How did Ingebjorg know that name? He couldn't have mentioned her. Only like a thousand times, Ingebjorg said, pressing the headdress into his hands. He talked about her constantly. Ingebjorg kept hoping it would fade, but it never did. She couldn't keep hoping after something that would never be. I won't see you off, she said, giving him another kiss. This time on the cheek. It wasn't a long trip home, but the excitement made it feel ten times as long. Kjartan sat at the back of their ship, eyes glued ahead, looking for any sprout of land over the horizon of blue. Then, one morning, there it was. There was his life, his island, his home, his Guthrun. They were greeted at the port. No one knew they were coming, but as soon as word came down, Kjartan's sister, her husband, and their daughter made their way to the docks as quickly as possible. They were joined by the family members of one of his crewmates, Calf. Shouldering his pack and gesturing to the treasure with which he returned, Kjartan met the faces of his kinsmen and stopped short. His smile faded. What is it? Tell me now. Did something happen? Is she dead? The trio looked at one another. No, Guthrun wasn't dead. <sighs> Kjartan exhaled but his relief was quickly interrupted. It was worse. She was married to Bali. That's where we're going to leave it this week. Next week, we will see how strong the friendships of Guthrun, Bali, and Kjartan really are when we wrap up this episode. If you'd like to support the show, we have a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a six-pack of invisible shoes, yes, you heard that right, you can get bonus episodes and ad-free versions of the show that 
won't look like glorified toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your feet. Seriously, these quote-unquote shoes are basically foot-shaped stickers advertised for use at the beach. For more info on the membership, check out support.mythpodcast.com. And if you're looking for something you can maybe wear, you know, other than beachy foot stickers, we also have a little merch shop. For t-shirts, stickers, posters, and limited run items, go to mythpodcast.com slash store. The creature this week is a goblin called Tom Ten. Now, there are two versions of this one. One is pretty much your standard house elf creature. If you're nice to it, it might help you out around the house. If you're mean, well, they know how to be mean too. The Tom Ten dwells among the bodies and burial mounds around the home. And if you don't take care of him or leave food out for him on Christmas Eve, he's been known to kill your livestock, hide your things, curdle your milk, or even bite you. And those bites are poisonous. So watch out. But there's another version of this creature. And this one's the real reason I chose to include it this week. It's not malicious. It's just curious. A lonely, forlorn creature pondering life, death, and the passage of time on a cold winter's night. There's a poem I posted on the episode post, but I'll read a couple of stanzas from it now, of a lonely goblin who watches the years go by, protecting children as they grow to adults, parents, older people, and finally disappearing like their countless ancestors, pondering the questions of where we come from and where we're going, but having the answers to neither. Still, he looks after them, making sure their doors are locked and they're safe in their beds each night. Here's just a few stanzas of the poem. Last the goblin slips in to see how all the folk are faring. Long have they known how faithfully he for their wheel is caring, treading lightly on stealthy toes. Into the children's room he goes, looks at each tiny treasure. That is his greatest pleasure. So has he seen them, sire and son, year by year in that room there, Sleep first as children, everyone. Ah, but whence did they come there? This generation to that was heir, blossomed, grew old, and was gone. But where? That is the hopeless, burning, riddle ever returning. Cold is the night, and still, and strange. Stars, they glitter and shimmer, all asleep in the lonely grange, under the midnight's glimmer. On glides the moon in gulfs profound. Snow on the firs and pines around. Snow on the roofs is gleaming. All but the goblin are dreaming. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You should really check out BetterHelp. They assess your needs to match you with your own professional, licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Visit BetterHelp.com myths. That's BetterHelp and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com myths. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next year.